Well, today um, I'm going to read from Psalm 133, and, and it's called uh, The Blessedness of Unity. It says, How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, and running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life evermore. And so with um, the unity, how blessed it is and peaceful. And they talk about um, unity being like this ointment. You can imagine it being poured over our heads. And it just flows down over his beard and his face and onto his robes. And if you kind of dig out that metaphor, you can probably go a lot of different ways, but it's just on, it goes where it wants to go and it's unpredictable and it's free flowing. And that's how unity is. And then the dew that shows up on the mountain, um, I was reading um, this particular mountain that they referred to, it hardly ever has that mountain dew. And so they're talking about the, the unity being a very rare and precious thing. And then when we do experience it, uh, there is that blessing, that blessing of life forevermore there. And so as we think about, you know, just the lives that we have lived, how often do we actually live and experience the, the unity, peace, in that harmony? It is a, a rare and precious thing. And one of my early mentors, I mentioned this in the meditation, I wrote uh, Lynn Evans, and I just really uh, admired him. He was just uh, an old farmer from the Midwest, from Kansas. And uh, uh, after several years of, after a few years of ministry, I should say, um, he ended up uh, divorced and he had full custody of his, his small children. And within a year, he, he fell in love with his future wife, Jerry, and she, she was a nurse and she was a single mom as well in raising children. And so when they got married, I like to say that they were they were madly in love and uh, and they had to be very courageous and maybe a little naive to think that they could blend these two families together with all these children. They're all like ages three to 10, all these children. And um, they were kind of the modern day Brady Bunch, if you can remember that show. But they not only survived, but their their marriage and their fa their family uh, just did quite well. And I can remember asking Lynn, how, how did y'all do it? You just think how difficult it is just with the family we grow up with and to blend these families and to truly find a way to love and care for one another. And I remember Lynn said, he said that when he and uh, Jerry would go to bed at night, he said, if we were talking to each other and none of the kids were mad at us, then we considered it a great day. Nobody was arguing. No one was fighting. No one was threatening to, to leave the house. Those were the moments we just cherished and, and we lived for them. And so they had these moments. He said usually a couple days a month where they just had complete peace and unity. And that was enough to keep them going, to know that everything was possible. And when I think about our own lives, we, we cherish those moments of unity where we are all one because they are rare, they're special. And I like to think of them as a, a glimpse, a glimpse of heaven when we experience that peace 
in that harmony. And even Jesus talks about this quite often in the Gospel of John. He says, may we all be one. And then in Isaiah, we have these wonderful images of the wolf and the lamb and the calf and the lion, the cow and the bear, how they will one day all live in peace with one another. And so how often do we truly live in harmony? Think about the family that we grew up with, our jobs. <laughs> Boy, if you can find a job where everybody's working together for the common good, it's something to really cherish because it's so rare. And I think about the schools I went to and just raising kids in the schools here in Mancus, our churches. Quite often, we're, we're always in disagreement. And even when we think about our governments, whether it's a local, county, state, or national government, how often do we have unity? And how good and pleasant it is when kindred can live together in unity. And kindred can be our immediate family that we grew up with, or it can also be all of creation, all of God's children. And unity is being together at one with someone or something. It's being on the same page, being of one mind. And Paul describes the, the early church in the book of Acts in the fourth chapter. And this is amazing. Every time I read this description of the, of the early church, there is this moment of unity and harmony. And it's like nirvana or something. It's just like, is this even possible? But he describes the early church. He says, they were of one heart and soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. Everything they owned was held in common. And there was not a needy person among them. Well, what would we think of such a community like that today? <laughs> what would we say about a community like that today? Well, there's a lady named Andre Reiser. She says, today, this united Christian community would be accused by many for being naive. They were, it would be called uh, communist or, or socialist, or maybe just plain stupid or lacking good judgment. But Psalm 133 and the early church show how beautiful, how meaningful, and how harmonious community life can be, but nothing is more difficult as well as living together. Maybe like Lynn and Jerry and, and their families that blended together, we can get a glimpse of unity and peace, maybe just a few days a month, and it inspires us and it moves us. And we also might say or think to ourselves, I would love to live in unity but it's just not possible. You mentioned my, uh, my dad, and I just remember the 33 years that he worked uh, for Safeway in the manufacturing division. And out of those 33 years, he had about three years where there was just complete unity in the plant that he worked in. And so he worked as a mid-level manager in manufacturing, making jelly and butter and uh, uh, soda pop and all these different products at different locations across the U.S. And I especially remember uh, growing up mo mostly in um, outside Dallas in the plant he worked for in, in Garland. 
and there was a heavy split there between the management and the non-management. And that split was between union and non-union employees. And I can remember my father spent a lot of time in, in court settling uh, labor disputes. And it really wore on him, all these cases. And quite often disgruntled employees, when they got upset with him or the plant, uh, they would call in bomb threats and they would have to evacuate the plant and shut it down for several hours or the entire day. And once, even in our neighborhood, and we lived about 15 miles from where he worked, uh, someone called in a bomb threat on our, on our home. And we had to evacuate uh, the whole neighborhood for several hours while they checked everything out. And this, so the opposite of unity is division. And division just tears us apart. It results in, in destruction. And I wish my father's experience uh, was unique, but I don't think it is. The divisions we have in our, our schools, with our jobs, our families are very real. The division within the United Methodist Church over our sexuality debate is very vicious. In the church right now, the denomination, you could say we're almost the opposite of that church that's described in the book of Acts. And John Exposito says in an age of globalization and mass migrations and, and increasingly multi-religious and multi-ethic societies, mutual understanding and respect are critical for our survival. It's really not even an option. If we want to coexist, we have to learn to listen and to understand and to see other points of views. I'm reminded that in 1858, when our nation was on the, the brink of civil war, President Lincoln, he echoed Jesus's words from Mark. He said, a house divided cannot stand. And that plant that my father worked at in Garland, the Garland beverage plant, the acrimony got to be so great, eventually they just shut the plant down and they sold it. And everybody loses and we can't find a way to get along. Our families, our schools, our communities, corporations and institutions and nations, they all fall when we cannot find common ground and work together. This is one of the challenges that we all face in our, in our lives, wherever we may be, wherever we are in life, is finding that common ground, our common humanity. In the early church, they took those words of resurrection and they translated them into a resurrection community. And God's blessing resides wherever such a united, caring community exists. And when we think about being united, especially united by, by those principles of love and grace, God's, God's unity is diversity embraced. Unity is diversity embraced and it's protected and maintained by an infinitely generous love. We see this in the Trinity with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how they're, they're all just loving, receiving, and sharing that love continuously. And this is the challenge that each of us face when we live in relationship with one another. 
And Catherine Lacuga says, it takes grace, love, and spirit to achieve unity. Unity is not uniformity. And we kind of make this mistake quite often. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity can be achieved by coercion, by shame, by fear, and by violence. But it is not unity. Uniformity is also quite often just a form of oppression. And most of our institutions and certainly our church as well and governments and movements often confuse uniformity with unity. Richard Rohr says, unity is the reconciliation of our differences and those differences must be maintained. We reconcile our differences, but we also, the differences must be maintained and yet overcome. And while there are differences among us on so many different levels, we do not seek to erase them, but to journey together in faithful love toward greater understanding and mutual respect. Does that statement sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> while our differences among us, while there are differences among us, we do not seek to erase them, but to journey together in faithful love toward greater understanding and mutual respect. That's posted when you enter our church into the fellowship hall or the sanctuary. That is our reconciling statement. <clears throat> it's my favorite part of it. We don't seek to erase our differences, but to journey together in faithful love. This is who we are. It's a beautiful statement. It's idealistic. It's naive. It's difficult. It's heaven. But it's also of Christ. And it is leaning into resurrection. And we have this event of resurrection. And how do we practice resurrection? How do we lean into it and live it? <clears throat> And I always go back when I think about unity and all the, the divisions that we face at so many different levels in, in our lives. And <clears throat> Brian Stevenson, down there where, where Ed is at, there in Alabama. <laughs> the, he's called uh, America's Nelson Mandela. And he says, if we want to change the world, get to know people. It just seems so simple, but also so challenging. If we want to change the world, get to know people. Get to know people with a different worldview, a different politics, a different faith. And like some of you mentioned, as we get to know them, it's being attentive and listening to them and trying to understand their point of view. Not trying to change them. We're trying to understand where they are coming from and finding our common humanity. And this is the hard work. Of reconciliation and what is the blessing of that work what is the blessing of unity and the psalm ends with life forevermore and so may we be one in christ and may we seek to be united amen <clears throat>